So if you see Eileen or Jane today, then the thing to tell them is, wonderful to see you. And what a blessing, um, what a blessing that is. Uh, if you see Jay and Debbie Bynum or Galen and Margie Sigler, then the thing to say to them is, thank you, thank you. They have been a blessing uh, to this church family as uh, Jay and Galen served as shepherds and elders here for many years. And with our new eldership and with the wonderful additions we've made to that group, they feel like now is the time for them to allow those guys to continue to shepherd and lead this church in faithful ways just as they have. And they will continue to be here and to serve and to work and to minister. And so now that they have all this extra time from having to miss elders meetings, I've got a whole list ready to go. Um, But today is the very last Sunday that they will serve in that capacity starting uh, July 1st, they will no longer be shepherds. So do tell them uh, thank you. They are dear friends, men who I respect as much as anyone uh, that I've had the pleasure of working with as a minister. And what a blessing uh, they have been to this church and what a blessing they have been to me and to my family. Um, and so those are some things you can say. Job's friends had given a clinic on what not to say in certain situations, specifically what not to say to people who are hurting. Uh, During uh, this month and next, we're working through the book of Job, beginning with, of course, the first couple of chapters where God and Satan have this uh, wrangling, wrestling match over Job, and God allows Satan to have his way with Job, but he does set the limits. It's God who sets the limits. The first time that he can't touch him physically, so he takes away everything else. And the second time, Uh, He can't kill him, can't take his life, even though Job pleads for God to do that. That is the limit that God puts on Satan. It says you you can go this far, but no farther, no farther. And all of this is in response to a question that Satan asks to God, which I think is the theme statement in the book of Job. And to understand Job, you have to deal with this question that Satan, the adversary, asks God, and that is, does Job serve God for nothing? You take away his blessings, round one, and he'll curse you to your face. You take away his health, round two, and he'll curse you to your face. And so the question becomes, for us, why do we serve God? (laughs) Why do we follow God? Why do we worship God? Is it because he is good to us? Is it because he gives us things? Is it because he protects us. We want all of those things, and we praise God for them. But the question of the book of Job is, will we continue to serve him and follow him and worship him simply because he is God and he is worthy? That's the question of the book. Well, as you know, Job chapter 3, Job lashes out at God, and he does that throughout Uh, The book and his speeches, he ultimately will lash out at his friends, as we'll see today. But when he begins to do that, his friends are very threatened. And as we saw last week, they're very insecure about hearing the things that Job is saying. And you'll get a real taste of that next week, or in two weeks, when we look more specifically and at length at some of the things that Job says to God. But today we want to uh, look at what Job says to his friends. And the sermon may be a little bit uncomfortable for some of us answering the ignorant. And so let's talk about that word ignorant. What does it mean? 
It doesn't mean bad. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It simply means you don't know. That's all it means. You don't know. And there are lots of reasons why people may not know, why people may be ignorant. Job's friends were ignorant of what was going on with Job's life. And they were a bit ignorant about God's will and God's word and about exactly who God was and how he worked in his world. And their speeches, as we saw last time, certainly were a demonstration of that. If you ever want to know what not to say to someone who is struggling, as Grant shared with our uh, prayer list today, if you ever want to know what not to tell them, then read Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, because they are a clinic in what not to say to those who are hurting. So how does Job respond to them? First of all, he says, you are no help at all. (laughs) You are no help at all. In Job chapter 6, it begins reading a lot like Job chapter 3, where Job is venting at God in response to uh, a speech of one of his friends. And then he begins to specifically address those friends. In Job chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams, as the streams that overflow when darkened by thawing ice and swollen with melting snow, but that stop flowing in the dry season and in the heat vanish from their channels. Don't you love that metaphor? (laughs) He says, my friends are like that stream that when you don't really need it, it's there like crazy, super deep, fast flowing. But then in the dry season... When it's hot and dry and you really need that stream to flow, it's completely dry as well. Job says, that's what you've been. You are no help at all. Verse 21 of Job 6, now you too have proved to be of no help. You see something dreadful and are afraid. I think that's a great summation of how his friends reacted. They saw what was going on with Job. They heard the the difficult, very honest things that were coming out of his mouth, the cries that were there. And they were afraid. They were threatened by that. And they felt like they had to chastise Job and defend God, and neither of those things was true. Job 6, verse 24, teach me and I will be quiet. Show me where I have been wrong. Job tells them, and they never could. In Job chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, we looked at some of these words in a previous lesson. Job replied, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I also could speak like you. Verse 4, if you were in my place, I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved. And if I refrain, it does not go away. Basically, Job is saying, oh, well, that's really easy for you guys to say. (laughs) And I could say the same thing if I were healthy and whole and had all my kids and all my wealth and all my reputation with me, like you do. But instead, I would try to speak words of comfort to you. I would try to help you. 
And yet, as it is, no matter what I say, I'm still suffering. I'm still hurting. In chapter 26, the first four verses, Job replies, How have you helped? How you have helped the powerless? There's a little bit of sarcasm in what Job says. How you, how you have helped the powerless? How you have saved the arm that is feeble? What advice you have offered to one without wisdom? And what great insight you have displayed. Who has helped you utter these words? And whose spirit spoke from your mouth? Here's what Job does. And here's what I think we should do in those situations. He responds honestly. He tells the truth. In the end, when God comes on the scene and he tells Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar to go to Job and have Job, my servant, pray for you. The difference between the two is that Job responded honestly. And he didn't pretend and he didn't deny and he openly, honestly poured out his heart unlike his friends. And so what do you do when you have to answer the ignorant? What do you do when you have to talk to those well-meaning friends or family members who say all the wrong things? I think you tell them the truth and that's what Job does. You hold on to the friendship. You hold on to the relationship as best you can. But when you're in that pit, when it feels like you're right just barely out of the grave, and no one is there to comfort, instead they're there to judge and to condemn, I think it's okay to tell the truth and to seek the help that you need. Job does that. He tells them the truth. You're no help at all. But he holds on to their friendship. Even though it's strained at best. Secondly, Job tells them this. The reality is the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer. As Sean shared for a moment or two during our communion and contribution time. That's the thought, right? The righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. And generally speaking, that's true. It's always true eternally. But what Sean acknowledged and what Job is willing to acknowledge is that it's not always true in this life. And what Job is saying is it's not true in mine. And what his friends had come and had said was, no, Job, that's not true. You're really not suffering. (laughs) And if you are suffering, you're only getting what you deserve. Comforting thought there. They even went on to say, it's like this everywhere. Ask the people that travel. They'll tell you. The righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. And what Job is going to tell them is, that's not true. That's just not true. It's not true in my life. And now that I've been able to evaluate it and consider it and reflect on it, it's really not true anywhere all the time. Some of the time, yes. All of the time, No, the reality is many times the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer. Job says this in Job chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Job replies, doubtless you are the only people who matter and wisdom will die with you. (laughs) I'm not sure if you have a really close relationship with a friend that has said all the wrong things, you might be able to get away with some of those things. Apparently Job was very close to these men and they were there. That's to their credit. But they were of no help. And so Job gets at times a little sarcastic. Verse 3, but I have a mind as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things that they have been telling him? 
Verse 4, I have become a laughing stock to my friends, though I called on God and he answered. A mere laughing stock, though righteous and blameless. Those who are at ease have contempt for misfortune, as the fate of those whose feet are slipping. The tents of marauders are undisturbed, and those who provoke God are secure. Those God has in his hand. The ones who are marauders, they go off scot-free, Job says. Those who are at ease have contempt for misfortune. They look down on the others as Job's friends were looking down on him. In Job chapter 21, beginning at verse 6. When I think about this, Job says, I am terrified. Trembling seizes my body. Boy, what a, what a great description. When it hits you. That nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Gospels, in Jesus' words, does it say, if you will only follow me and be faithful to me, you'll never suffer anything in this life. Nowhere does it say that. In fact, as we'll see next week, Jesus many times says exactly the opposite. If you look to me and trust in me and seek to obey me, you're going to suffer. In this life. Continuing on in Job 21 verse 6 again. When I think about this I am terrified. Trembling seizes my body. Why do the wicked live on? Growing old and increasing in power. They see their children established around them. Their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of timbrel and lyre. They make merry to the sound of the pipe. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? What would we gain by praying to Him? I, I think one of the things we want to do with Job is try to help him decatastrophize. That word is just simply means, Job, you're saying this always happens or this never happens. And it's not true when Job's friends say it. And it's not true when Job says it either. But that's how he feels. And so for a moment, while your loved one, while your friend is venting, is expressing the hurt and the pain and the anger and the injustice that he feels or that she feels, let them. Let them. And be there with them through it all. Because what's going to happen is you're going to see little caveats of when they come back, such as Job 21, verse 16. But, after saying all of those things, but their prosperity is not in their own hands, so I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. One thing we'll see is that Job never lets go of his faith, even though it is tried and tested in a great, incredible, horrible way. But he knows intellectually God sees and God knows and God will act. But today, that's just not much help. And so he goes back and forth a bit. And we see that in the verses that follow in verse 17. Yet how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? 
How often does calamity come upon them, the fate God allots in his anger? How often are they like straw before the wind, like chaff swept away by a gale? It is said God stores up the punishment of the wicked for their children. And Job responds to that with these words. Let God repay the wicked so that they themselves will experience it. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink the cup of the wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care about the families they leave behind when their allotted months come to an end? Don't raise your hand, but have you ever felt that way? God, why aren't you punishing this person who is wicked, this person who is acting unjustly, this person who is treating me so badly or treating others so badly? How can you let that go on? It's kind of Habakkuk's question to God. And then God responded by saying, I'm bringing in the Babylonians and they're going to take my people to task. And that made Habakkuk feel even more uncomfortable because then God's using the less righteous to punish the more righteous and that didn't sit well with Habakkuk either. And that's where Job is. He's going back and forth a little bit as we see in this chapter especially. How the wicked go on their way and even shake their fist at God and say, I don't need anything from the Almighty. But Job says, but, but I know in my mind That he does care, and he does see, and he will act. Job chapter 24, we'll read starting at verse 12. The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out for help, but God charges no one with wrongdoing. There are those who rebel against the light, who do not know its ways or stay in its paths. And that whole chapter continues on in that exact vein. Job is saying the reality is you guys are saying that the wicked, pro- the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. And here I am suffering so I must be wicked. And Job responds with reality. He looks at his life and he says, number one, I, I, I'm not any more wicked than I ever was. And number two, I look around the world and that's just not true. The wicked seem to go on their merry way without a care in the world. All their kids are healthy. All their cows and calves are healthy and their sheep and their house, their health. And yet they shake their fist at God and say, what do I care about you? And that doesn't make sense, Job says. And here I am, a righteous man suffering in such a horrible situation. When Job told them the truth and told them, you're no help at all. In this case, he looks at what he has always believed. The righteous always prosper, the wicked always suffer. And he evaluates it and he reflects on it. And he takes a moment to stop and consider. And so what do you do in this case? Well, you take an honest look at what you believe. And that's okay. You take an honest look and you evaluate and you consider. Because for Job, that meant taking a step back and realizing, wow, boy, man, I was way off there. Again, don't raise your hands, but has anyone in here (laughs) throughout their lives gone back to some of the things they thought or believed or did when they were younger and said, yeah, yeah, that wasn't right. And can I just say that I'm so relieved that the internet and YouTube were not allowed, allowed, uh, around when I was younger? 
I'm sure there are cassette tapes of some of my first sermons, but I've tried to destroy all of them that I could find. We do learn. We do grow. And the only ones who don't learn and who don't grow are the ones who don't consider, who don't reflect, who don't evaluate. And that's all Job is saying here. Let's take another look at that, guys. It's just not so. I think we've not quite got that one right. Lastly, this morning, Job told them, though the wicked may feel secure, God's eyes are on their ways. Again, one of the things I love about Job is that he is so, so descriptive and uh, honest about the pain that he feels and the displeasure he has with God and with his friends, but he never lets go of either. He holds on to that friendship. He continues there with those guys, and he holds on to his relationship with God because, again, he knows, he knows God will make this right one day. I don't see it right now, and I don't know why I don't see it right now, but I believe it. Though the wicked may feel secure, God's eyes are on their ways. Again, Job 24, verses 22 through 25. God drags away the mighty by his power. Though they become established, they have no assurance of life. He may let them rest in a feeling of security, verse 23, but his eyes are on their ways. Job believed that. For a little while they are exalted and then they are gone. They are brought low and gathered up like all the others. They are cut off like heads of grain. If this is not so, who can prove me false and reduce my words to nothing? Job knew God's eyes were on the wicked. He knew what was going on, but he had not acted on it. And that's the part that Job didn't quite get. And he lets God know. (laughs) Job 27, beginning at verse 13. Here is the fate God allots to the wicked. The heritage a ruthless man receives from the Almighty. However many his children, their fate is the sword. His offspring will never have enough to eat. The plague will bury those who survive him. And their widows will not weep for them. Though he heaps up silver like dust and clothes like piles of clay, what he lays up the righteous will wear, not him, and the innocent will divide his silver. Job holds on to that faith. He refuses to let it go, even though it doesn't make sense right now. And so he has come to realize that the wicked sometimes prosper and the righteous sometimes suffer. Still, he believes that though they feel secure, the wicked will know one day that God's eyes are on them. When they shake their fist at God, God sees. He may not act right then, but he sees. When he looks down upon a righteous, faithful servant who is hurting and who is suffering, and and unjustly, he sees it and he knows it. And one day he will make it right. But he has never told us when that one day will be. And yet Job trusts God through it all. I want us to read a few verses from Psalm 73 because it is such a wonderful psalm. And so many times the psalmists convey the same message and feelings that Job has. And Psalm 73 is one of those. 
the first few verses. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's what the psalmist believed. Just like Job believed that. But, verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. And so there's a lot there that he says, okay, I believe that God's going to take care of the good and he's going to punish the wicked. But as I look around, that's not what I see. And it affected me so much, I nearly lost my faith. Nearly. I nearly lost my foothold because I began to envy the wicked. And I began to ask those questions. Why am I so faithful? What is the use of all of the sacrifices I have made and all of the things I have done to try to be right with God, to try to live His message, to try to share His message? And all it's brought me is hurt and pain. Verse 11 continues this and then takes a turn. Psalm 73, verse 11, they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They can go on amassing wealth. Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Verse 15, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Thinking back on Sean's wonderful thoughts around the table, this is why we do this. (laughs) This is exactly why we meet. Because it's hard out there, and sometimes it doesn't make sense out there. And God knew that we needed reminders that would pull us back to Him, to what we believe, to what we know in our heart is true. And the psalmist, like Job, says, when I looked around and I saw the wicked going off scot-free and the, and the faithful suffering like me, I nearly lost my foothold. I nearly lost it all until I entered the sanctuary and I was reminded I was reminded of who God is. I was reminded of the faithfulness of His people. I was reminded of the eternal. And it helped. And that's why we go to church. To remind each other. We can worship God anywhere, anytime, and should, and do. But looking each other in the eyes, giving Jane and Aline, a gentle hug. Sharing with each other, man, I I know you're hurting. I know you're suffering. And I want you to know, I, I don't have any answers for you, but I want you to know that I'm here for you. And I do believe that God is here for you too. Though the wicked may feel secure, God's eyes are on their ways. Just as our shepherd Grant said during the shepherd's prayer time. When we're going through those trials and tribulations and troubles, we can remember this and know this. God is here now. He's here in the midst of it. He never promises to take all those sufferings away. But what he does promise is this. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I will never leave you. 
I will never forsake you. As we begin to close today, a few thoughts. First of all, sometimes there are just no easy answers. Sometimes there are just no easy answers. I wish I had them. I've tried to give them. (laughs) Sometimes there are just no easy answers. I remember it like it was yesterday. We were in Arlington, Texas, and my mother died when I was 17 of a heart attack. And one of our members, one of our ladies, wonderful, faithful ladies, at the age of 39, my mother was 49, she died of a heart attack. She had two, uh, three uh, teenage age children. One of them was a daughter. And I remember going to their house and seeing her there and sitting down with her and, and, and talking with her and sharing with her and all of my wonderful, godly, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar wisdom. <laughs> Wondering if I was helping at all. And then while I was there, one of her best friends came in and she breezed right through and passed everyone. Didn't say hi to anyone, didn't say hello, didn't say a word. And she came up behind this young girl and from behind she just grabbed her like this and just held on. And never said a word. And that's what we do. When the right words come, let's say them. But that's what we do. Because sometimes there are just no easy answers. Like Job, we don't have to deny the reality of the difficulties we and others face. We can tell the truth to our friends, to ourselves. We can tell the truth to God. He's big enough. He can handle it. And then also, like Job, we can hold on to our faith in the process. We can trust through it all. We don't have to wait for God to fix everything to trust Him. (laughs) We can trust Him in the process. But we may need some help from trusted friends, from trusted family, from church leaders, from a church that will be there with us through it all. Like Job's friends and Job himself. This morning you may be broken and in need of mending. Like Job, this morning you may be wounded and in need of healing. That healing may be The blood of Christ washing away your sins upon baptism into him. That healing and that help may come from a church that's gathered together that will pray for you. And will think of you and check on you. The promise of Jesus is this. Come to me, those of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will be there for you. I will see you through it. And if that's where you are today, I can guarantee you that you can have this assurance. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. And I know he is there. And I know he will help me just as 
I am. If you need our help today, come as we stand and sing this.